0: of Philemon. Philemon is one chapter long, and in most Bibles only one, maybe two pages, Uh, but it's in the New Testament, and it's right before the book of Hebrews. You're also welcome to follow along on the bulletin, uh, if you would like, that is acceptable also. I wonder if you've ever heard a sermon, maybe even here, and thought to yourself something like, I really appreciate all that doctrine and that theology, but what does it have to do with all the problems in my life? Maybe you've thought that was, that was completely orthodox. I can affirm all of those doctrinal points, and I believe that theology that was preached, and it's great and it's glorious, but it feels disconnected from my life. That, that you've got problems going on in your own life, perhaps you've got people that you struggle to get along with in your own life, Perhaps there are conflicts, and you struggle to make the connection between the glorious truths that we affirm and the the difficulties of daily life. If you've ever felt that way, then the book of Philemon is for you, because the book of Philemon is exactly that. It is an attempt to bring gospel truth to bear on a very practical problem in a relationship. And so I am going to read today, I'm just going to go ahead and read the entire book of Philemon for us. It's only 25 verses. Uh, We're going to be looking particularly at the first seven of those verses today, but I want to read the book, I want us to hear it, I want us to hear the the whole plot, the whole storyline of this book, and so uh, if you would, please join me in standing for the reading of God's holy word today. This is... Philemon, starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epiphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, we pray, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in this portion of your word. We ask that you would, even in this time, this next 40 minutes, fulfill your promise, Lord, that your word will not return to you void, but that it will become effective, that it will accomplish your purposes in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I remember that when I was a child, I didn't particularly care much for homework. In fact, my mom's here today. She could no doubt confirm the truth of that sentiment. But I do remember there was one assignment that I was able to find some small amount of joy in, and that was uh, what we at the time called a a shadow box. I believe they're also called a diorama, more commonly today, And, and that was where you might, you know, you take a shoebox and you create a small scene in that shoebox. And as I recall, the main point was uh, you might be studying something in your class, something vast like the ocean or the desert. And of course, I grew up in Illinois. We didn't have easy access to any of those. And they were, they were large. They're hard to wrap your mind around. But you can create this one small scene. And you can get a little picture of this is what the ocean is like or this is what a desert ecosystem is like, and in doing so, you can begin to understand how it works. You can begin to extrapolate in your own mind that this vast thing works because you see one small example of it. In some ways, the book of Philemon is a diorama for us. The book of Philemon gives us this one small scene. It's a letter that focuses on one relationship that Paul is speaking into, And yet the point of Philemon is to help us grasp the vast implications of how the gospel is meant to become effective in our lives, of how the gospel is meant to have very practical implications, to to produce reconciliation. And and applying the gospel to our lives is this big topic, but Philemon gives us one picture of it, one illustration. It says, here, look at how it has worked in this relationship, and go and do Likewise. And so I want us to see first today these three things uh, to understand the book of Philemon. First, we see something of the need for reconciliation in a broken world. Second, we see the power for reconciliation in a broken world. And then thirdly, we're going to see the means for the spread of reconciliation in a broken world. Long sermon points today, I know. But first, the need for reconciliation in a broken world. And I imagine that that this first point is a little bit obvious. We all know what the need for reconciliation is because we all experience something of the brokenness and the alienation of living in this fallen world. Uh, But specifically, I I want us to see it and to see what the problem is here in the book of Philemon. Uh, That will help us, I think, to understand how the gospel uh, interacts with the sin in our lives and how it works in these particular situations Philemon is a letter. We heard that. It's from Paul. It's to Philemon. This letter has been described as the most brilliantly nuanced, compelling letter of reconciliation in the ancient world. It is a model of grace and charm. And the reason that that grace and that charm stands out so brilliantly is because we see it set against this background of this terribly, terribly broken relationship. You're probably familiar with some of the, at least the basic outline of this book. It's it's from Paul. It's to Philemon. Philemon was an individual. He lived in Colossae. Uh, We assume he must have been fairly well-to-do. He had a a church that met in his home, so he must have been of some standing to have a home of sufficient size. Uh, We are led to believe that he had come to Christ under Paul's ministry in Colossae, and He had this slave, at least one slave, named Onesimus. And what we know about Onesimus is that Onesimus was not a good slave. And so we get a picture of the broken relationship that must have existed between Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, First of all, not only was he a slave and and a bad slave, uh, the book describes him as being useless. Verse 11, Paul says, Formerly, he was useless to you. He was a useless slave. That must have been frustrating. And not only was he useless, but he ran away. and he ran away from Philemon, he had escaped. And not only had he been useless and ran away, uh, but we get the picture from this book that Philemon, uh, that Onesimus had stolen from Philemon as he ran away. Right? Paul says, if he owes anything to you, right? perhaps he had helped himself maybe to some of Philemon's cash on his way out the door as he was running away. And, and so... We don't know exactly what Philemon's disposition is in all of this, how he is feeling about this, but one thing we do know is that in the ancient world, there were specific bounty hunters who took it on themselves to, to find runaway slaves and to execute them. That was the punishment. And, and that was sort of the accepted thing, that if a slave has run away, they have forfeited their life. And that, that's what it means. And so we get this picture of, of how Philemon must have felt about this useless slave who was no good while he was there, and then he ran away and stole from him. This is a letter from Paul occasioned by this fact that these two men are in conflict. Now, there's deep conflict here, some deep alienation between them. And, and here's the book of Philemon. This book, it's not primarily a doctrinal treatise, it's not even primarily an ethical or a moral letter. This is a very personal letter that is directed towards two men uh, who are, at this point now, brothers in Christ and yet deeply in conflict. And Paul writes to this situation and he applies gospel truths to this conflict. And that's what I want us to do, is in studying this book, to see how he does that and to learn how we can do the same thing. This book addresses some very broken relationships. And, and I use that word knowing it's, it's not my favorite word to say broken. It's a little too, maybe trendy, a little too wishy-washy, right? Sinners. This book is addressing two sinners who have sinned against one another and in doing so have caused a lot of heartache, conflict, and uh, hurt. These are men who are, are two sinners who are sinning against one another and they have been sinned against. Which means, I think it's interesting, you could change a few names in this book, maybe a few details here and there, and get some pretty decent marriage advice out of it, right? Because marriage is essentially two sinners who live together and often find themselves in conflict. Uh, But that's for another day. As it stands, uh, it's more of a business conflict, really, more of a workplace conflict, which is good, right? A lot of of men will more quickly listen to business advice than marriage advice, Uh, but that's for another day as well. Uh, As it is, Paul is writing this letter to two people who have a relationship and they are struggling to live as Christians towards one another. They are finding it more easy to produce the fruits of the flesh than the fruits of the Spirit. And so this is a book that is useful, right? Every time we say, I appreciate the theology, but what about my life? Because this is a book to people with broken relationships. If you have any broken relationships, you might find it helpful. If there's any people in your life that try your patience, uh, any relationships that are just not the way you wish they were. And I think that's part of the reason why the book of Philemon is in our Bibles in the first place, because it addresses the fallenness of our relationships. And we remember, of course, that that this is not the way it's supposed to be. When we have our broken relationships, we can look back to Genesis chapter. You know, one and two, beginning of three. And remember, there was a time before sin entered the world when, when there was not broken relationships, right? When people not only enjoyed fellowship with God, but perfect harmony and fellowship with one another. And then sin entered the world. And those relationships were messed up both directions. Uh, humanity, we, were, we lost our fellowship with God. But it's just as true that because of sin, we lose our harmony and our relationships with one another. That sin now infects all of our relationships. And so it's very obvious, right? We know the need for reconciliation. We know the need for the gospel to speak into our relationships. That's the need. What is the power for reconciliation? What is the power? And, and here's the real question we need the scriptures to address for us. Right? The need is obvious. We're aware of the misery. We're aware of the sin. Uh, but what is the one thing that's effective to renew and to regenerate and to reconcile us in this fallen world. And here I want us to look at Paul's prayer for Philemon. Uh, it's easy, I know, to skip over the prayers that begin most of Paul's letters in the New Testament. We think, oh, well, this is just a formality. Let's get into the, the real meat of the letter. But that's actually usually a, a mistake. The prayers in Paul's letters are almost always uh, specifically targeted to the topic that that letter is going to be about. One commentator says this way, the opening greeting and prayer contain the seed from which the letter will grow to full flower. So look at the prayer. It starts in verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we know that Philemon's a Christian. right? Paul has heard of his... Love towards the saints and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know here is Philemon. He has heard the gospel. He has believed the gospel. He has been changed by the gospel. But now, verse 6. And and verse 6, in some ways, is really the key to the whole letter. He says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, Here's where we need to study this verse for just a moment. And you know I don't usually make too much fuss over what translation you use, but here we need to talk about it because this one is interesting. You hear in the, I'm reading in the ESV, that's what's in the bulletin, and it says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Uh, If you have the original NIV, it says something similar. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, uh, and LT says, I'm praying that you may put into action the generosity that comes from faith. They're all similar in that all of those give the impression that what he's talking about there is evangelism. Right? He's talking about the sharing of your faith, namely, sharing your faith with others who don't have the faith. Right? You're sharing it with them, sharing the gospel, it's evangelism. Um, but that's actually not what Paul is talking about. That is not the sense he's using the word in. Uh, there's, there's two new translations that get it right. Uh, the newer NIV says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may become effective. Or the NASB uses the word fellowship. See, he's talking about partnership in the faith. In other words, he's praying about your sharing the faith, not sharing it with those who don't believe, but the fact that we together as believers, we share the faith in common. Right? We share it with those who do believe. Uh, And we know this is right because the word that Paul uses in that verse for sharing, it's not a word for evangelism, it's the Greek word poinonia. You might be familiar, it's the word for fellowship or for communion or for participation. And he's saying this is what he's praying about. He's praying about the fact that we all share the gospel in common, right? We have the common faith together that we all participate in. And so we can see a little bit of a flow here where verse 4, he's thanking, he gives thanks to God for Philemon's faith, and then he's praying that that faith may go on to become effective. Right? And, and he's going to go on later, verse 17, uh, he's going to say to, to uh, Philemon, he says, If you consider me right, a partner, right, a sharer of the faith, uh, this is a large part of this book. Uh, It's similar to what he prays for the Philippians about. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel. And this is what he's getting at here, is that there is a a common faith that unites us, that, that unites us all in common, and that is what undergirds the ministry of reconciliation. And look where he goes with it. Look at the second half of the verse. I pray that this sharing of your faith may become effective, for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. He says, I'm praying that this, this commonality in the faith, this, this communion that we share, may become effective. Right? So here's Philemon. He's already a believer. Right? He's a Christian. He knows the gospel. He believes in it. But Paul says, my prayer is that it now might become effective in your life, right? that it has a purpose, that it, it, it must do things in your life. And Paul says, I'm praying that it's effective for you. So it's not enough now for Philemon as a Christian just to believe, but we want the gospel to become effective, to carry out its purposes, to do what it is meant to do, to renew us from the inside out and not only renew our lives, our hearts, but to renew our relationships. That it's effective now for carrying out what Paul sees that needs to happen. Now, think about one thing we do here in worship. One thing we do here in worship, we did it a little while ago, is our time of uh, the exchange of peace, or the passing of the peace. right? And, and that's that time we all stand up and, and we shake hands uh, and we say peace of Christ or grace and peace or, or some similar thing as that. Now, a lot of people will sort of think of that as, you know, greet your neighbor time. Uh, sort of colloquially or maybe you think of it as you know, halftime, just a short intermission, you know, time to stretch your legs before you go on, but, but that's not what it is. I mean, I'm glad if you greet your neighbor, and I'm glad if you say hello, but this is meant to be a theological act. Right? It's not just greeting your neighbor. It's not just saying hello. The point is that we are sharing the peace of Christ, one with another, right? And we say, as, Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven us, let us also love and forgive one another. You see what we're saying? We're saying as we have believed the gospel and been forgiven, may that now become effective in our relationships. We have been forgiven. May we also forgive one another. And I think of it as something of a diorama moment, right? That what we do in that moment is only a few minutes. There's not time for lots of deep soul work and reconciliation to go on. It's just this small thing. We, we say, peace of Christ. But in doing so, we're giving voice to a much greater reality in our lives. And we're, we're hoping, praying, that that reality of sharing the peace of Christ very quickly with one another is something that will become effective, that will become played out in our relationships. That if we can do that with one another here in worship as the church, that we may then also be able to do such a thing in our broader lives. That we might be able to share the peace of Christ in much more significant, substantial, deep ways with those people in our lives. That that peace that we have will become effective in our lives, that it will go out from us into greater and larger and broader settings. Another commentary says, This koinonia this partnership, this sharing, this, this fellowship that we have in the gospel is not a static fact. It is an energizing principle. It is meant to produce the full reality of which it speaks. Right? It's a small thing, but it's meant to produce a much greater reality on a far grander scale. And that's what he's saying. Our fellowship in Christ, the fact that we share the gospel together, is meant to be this energizing, transforming principle. It's, not, it's something we enjoy together, but it doesn't stop there. It goes on through us and from us. And so this is Paul's prayer. He says, I know we already share the gospel in common. Now I pray that that becomes effective. Right? For these broken relationships, the this situation that you're in with, this, with Onesimus, I pray that the, the gospel commonality, the shared faith, will become effective to overcome the alienation that is felt in that It's very interesting uh, to sort of compare this because there is another letter that was written in the ancient world uh, that's very similar. A letter that was written maybe 50 years after Philemon was written by a very significant Roman politician whose name was Pliny the Younger. And Pliny wrote a letter to a man named Sabinianus about the plight of one of Sabinianus's runaway slaves. And Pliny is imploring Sabinianus to receive him back without harsh punishment. So you can see the parallels between the letter to Philemon and this letter to Sabinianus. There's so many parallels, it's almost eerily similar to them. It's actually also a very well-written letter with rhetorical flair and flourish. Uh, He employs a very similar tactic to Paul. One of the things he says is he doesn't want to give an explicit command. Paul says the same thing. Pliny says he wants to appeal to him, to do what is right. Uh, he, He stresses that they have this friendship, they have this common fellowship that they enjoy together. And so he wants to appeal to him, to do the right thing, to do what is best. There's all these parallels, but the bottom line of it all is that the two letters are built on completely different foundations and they could not be more different. Here's what Pliny does. Pliny appeals to his friend to do what is best simply on the grounds of Pliny's authority and the fact that Sabinianus really is a good guy. And deep down, he has a good heart. He wants to do the right thing. And so he's saying, do the right thing. You're a good guy. Just do what is right. Make it count. It's authority and it's human goodness. Paul's appeal is on a completely different grounds than that. Paul's appeal is on the grounds of the transforming power of the mercy of Christ. And he says that the gospel is already at work among you and it can become effective for the transformation of these relationships. Godly fellowship among all who believe. Paul gives absolutely no appeal to just human goodness or to this desire to do what is right for the sake of doing what is right. He says do it, Because in Christ, we share a partnership that is far deeper and more compelling than any social, economic, or financial consideration. And and it's interesting because we see that today, right? It's interesting to me to see that 2,000 years ago, he was appealing to just human goodness, kind of a a sense of shared morality. Uh, I think of that as such a modern theme, and yet they were doing it 2,000 years ago, appealing on the on the basis of just the innate goodness of humanity. That if everyone would just take a moment and do what's right, everything would be okay. We know that's not going to happen. We, we have a better, uh, more interesting doctrine of sin than that that tells us people don't just do what is right. People don't always want the best for other people. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the power of Christ to break down those walls and to begin by working in our own hearts, by forgiving our own sin, by removing first the alienation that we experience from God because of our sin and the wrath that is due to us from God. First, the gospel says it deals with that. Right? It it heals our hearts. It, It reconciles us to God. It demonstrates his mercy, which has the transformative power in our own hearts, and it's on that basis that it says now we are able to move out in mercy towards other people. We are able to extend that same reconciling grace to others. This is the biblical teaching, right? Only the gospel is the power to affect this kind of radical reconciliation. Right? We only have to spend a moment to think think, how, how broken was this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus? There must have been some significant bitterness in that. Right? How, how often do we think you know, we might hear words like this we might hear a sermon like this encouraging you know, reconciliation and forgiveness and, and you might be thinking on the inside yes but, but you don't know you don't understand the real depth of this broken relationship you don't understand the history of pain that exists well this relationship is pretty broken This is a pretty bad relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, and the grace of God to us in Christ is pretty powerful. The gospel has the power to overcome this kind of of alienation because it is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And when we look at our relationships, we're saying we don't simply need a little band-aid fix. We need the power to raise these from the dead. And that is exactly what the gospel gives us, right? We cannot underestimate the depth of the problem, but also the depth of the solution, the power that God has given for this. So here's what we see, the need for reconciliation. We're given the power for reconciliation in our shared faith in Christ. And also I want us to see the means now for the spread of reconciliation. How is this going to go about? And now I want us to go back to the first two verses in the letter Here's a letter. It's addressed to Philemon. But also it's addressed to Aphia, Archippus, and the church in your house. You read the commentaries and they debate. They can't decide, is this, actually, is this a personal letter or is this a church letter? Right? Because it's, it's addressed to Philemon. And it's actually about a very personal problem that he has with this, this slave of his. But it's also a church letter. It's addressed to Philemon and to the church that meets in his house. And that's very significant. It's not addressing Philemon just as an individual. It's saying this is to Philemon as a member of God's church, as a member of the the body of Christ that's called out of the world together, that in our commonality we share our faith in Christ. And it's not insignificant that Paul points out that, that Onesimus has come to Christ as well. We get this picture that Onesimus was presumably not a Christian when he ran away, but he ran away and as providence would have it, he runs into the Apostle Paul and is converted under Paul's ministry. And now he has has become a Christian and so he's also become a brother, a fellow member of the body of Christ. And so now Paul is going to say to them, the essence of this letter is to say the things that now unite you, as brothers in Christ, as sharers of our common faith, are far deeper and far more significant than the things that divide you. And we can only imagine Philemon saying, well, wait a minute, you don't know what he did. And then we can imagine Paul saying, I do, and it doesn't matter, the things that unite us in Christ are still deeper. They're still more significant. They still have more power to heal than the things which divide us have power to keep us apart. Right? They are members of the same church. And the prayer still, may that become effective. May that bear fruit. You see, God has a plan. Now, the plan is the gospel, but what is his plan for the spread of the gospel, for carrying that to all the nations? By and large, his plan is the church. Right, That he gathers his people together into these fellowships, these communities, these bodies of local believers who get together and to say we share the peace of Christ one with another. Our relationships with one another in the church are transformed by the gospel so that there is now peace. And where outside of of the church there may be brokenness and alienation, inside the church we say we have and we share the peace of Christ, and our prayer is that it becomes effective. We know how easy it can be to walk around and to shake hands and say peace of Christ and not sense that there's any true peace. Prayer is that it becomes effective. That it begins to bear the actual fruit of peace in our lives. That this little diorama moment where we see this little tiny but glorious picture of the power of the gospel to bring people together and we say, Yes, we're forgiven and loved by Christ. Yes, we desire to forgive and love one another. In our hearts, we know that's far more difficult than just saying the words. And it's far more difficult than just shaking the hands. But our prayer is that it becomes effective that through the power of God by His Spirit in our hearts, the gospel will bear fruit, it will grow, it will take root, and it will transform actual broken relationships. This is Paul's theology, and this is Paul's approach, that the gospel will begin by transforming individual hearts, and it will move out from there in concentric circles. And it will then transform families, it will then transform churches, And it will also move out from there as more and more people are enfolded into God's churches. And so this is my vision for our church. This is one of my desires. This is one of my prayers for us as a church is that here we are, we share the faith in Christ. And our prayer, like Paul's, is that that shared faith may become effective. That, That we will not simply gather to say the words, but that we will find the gospel actually bearing real fruit in our lives. We'll begin to see and to taste, even if it be in such a small way, some of the transformation that the gospel is meant to bring to bear on our lives. That we will see God, through Christ and the power of his spirit, doing his work in our lives. And so when we say, yes, I agree with the theology, I affirm the doctrine, but what about my life? I we'll begin to see these two things connect. We'll begin to see them Uh, influencing, impacting, and changing one another. My vision for us as a church is that we will be this ever-expanding, ever-growing sort of diorama, this small picture of gospel peace and transformation that's always growing to encompass more and more parts of God's world. I think that's what we get in Philemon. Philemon gives us one relationship that's terribly broken and says, here is one way that the gospel can impact it. That the gospel can bring people together. That Jesus can heal what has been broken. And then go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us in Christ. And we thank you that we do share the faith in common. That we do experience fellowship and communion here as the body of Christ. And Lord, we pray now that by the power of your spirit, the gospel may continue to grow in its effectiveness in our lives. Lord, we ask that it may not simply be words that are spoken or doctrine that is is believed, but that it will go forward from there. That by your mercy, it might bear the peaceful fruits of repentance in our lives. Lord, that we will enjoy the peaceful fruits uh, as we see the gospel making changes in our own hearts first, and outward from there in our ability to share the mercy and the grace of Christ with those around us. This is our desire. Lord, we need the help of your Spirit who helps us even in our weaknesses to make uh, gospel truths a reality. And so we ask all these things through Jesus Christ. Amen.